Hello, and welcome to The Body Protest. In this podcast, we combine storytelling with science to better understand how we think, feel, and relate to our bodies. I'm Nadia Craddock, and I'm a body image researcher. And I'm Honey Ross, writer and activist. This podcast is brought to you by The Pink Protest. Hi, Honey. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good today, Nadia. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm really trying not to always answer that question by saying I'm tired, which is like my... (laughs) instinctual <laughs> honest reaction but I kind of feel like I'm turning into my father so when people say I'm good I just assume that also means I'm tired because when I said I'm good <laughs> no. I, what I actually meant was I'm tired <laughs> I know and it always makes me think of that Hannah Gadsby line where she's like I identify as tired <laughs> no, I know truly like, yes. to my core someone said to me the other day they were like i turned 16 and felt tired and then just never felt not tired and i was like ouch (laughs) ow (laughs) i know the the struggle to feel refreshed it's real anyway (laughs) anyway anyway i am very excited for this episode it's the last one that we recorded in in the before times so pre-pandemic we spoke to Mary Higgins and Elle Potter, who we refer to as the Hotter Girls. Uh, obviously, you can combine the names and it's great. We love it. Higgins and Potter. <laughs> I, my mind is jelly today. Do you know what? I don't think I even knew that. No! I must have done. It's, it's very good. It's very good. <laughs> that feels new. I, well, I'm very excited that I got to give that to you because I was like, obviously, I'm, I'm saying everybody knows it. But I'm obsessed with them. They're so fantastic. They're just such incredible young funny talented queer women and my amazing friend Georgie took me to see their show at the Soho Theatre last year and everyone in the audience was weeping and dancing and it was the most special celebration of all different forms of womanhood we're going to talk about that but Ellen Mary have created a really special show called Hotter where they you know interviewed such a wide range of women and it was a really special theatre experience, which is also one of the reasons why God can't wait for COVID to be done so we can go to the theatre again, because, wow, really miss it. <laughs> I know, and I'm so sad that I never got to see their shows, and they actually had two, because there was Hotter, and then there was a, a follow-up called Fitter. But what I can say is that they were a delight to chat with. Um, we spoke about their relationship together, we spoke about their shows, obviously, we spoke about their relationship with their bodies growing up. I think we do touch on eating disorders, so just as a flag, in case you're vulnerable to that. But it's a it's a really sweet conversation, and and as I say, it was a, it was a delight in that before time. I know simpler times, and if you'd like to catch the girls and see what they're doing now, obviously theatres are not going, but they have put out a radio play, Lemon Ginge, a queer fairy tale that we will link to in the show notes. And also, I think this was recorded around a time I was cat sitting for some friends, so you might hear some very intense cats in the background but if not uh yeah hope you enjoy the episode why don't we start with you two introducing yourselves i'm Elle potter i'm mary higgins and together we are hotter (laughs) is the name of our two person i want to just clarify that Elle was looking at mary expectantly to say it at the same time and she did not oblige I think it's important to make that clear. It was really sad to watch, I'm gonna be honest. I'm devastated. I've never felt that before. No, it's fine. And the reason why we called Hotter is because our surnames combine to make the word Hotter. It was a really convenient, like, dramaturgical jumping off point that our surnames combined to make the word Hotter. Because, like, we also wanted to make a show this is what I always say. It's a bit like one of those apps where, you know, you can guess your child by blending your faces. Yes. <laughs> but it's like sort of like that. And it's probably not an accurate representation of your child, but it's like quite a good starting point. Yeah. So I think just by like blending our brains and faces, we were like, it's probably going to be about bodies. Yeah, they? we basically went into the deep end. Mary was like, do you want to make a show with me? And I was like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> but also... Yes. Um, and then, like, we just didn't, we sort of cut all the initial stage of friendship thing and we're like, jump straight in with, what is your worst fear about your body and the way you look? 
Um, wow. So like, we really went in deep. Yeah, from yeah. the start. we were, I think we're both just going through a part in our lives. Just what was the main thing we were thinking about. We were just thinking about our bodies all the time. I've always had quite a, uh, well, complicated relationship with my body. Uh, and also at the time of my sexuality. So I was like, and Mary was outwardly queer and proud. And uh, so we spent a lot of time Still talking baby, about... Still baby, Yeah, yeah. Um, but not afraid in the way that I was at the time. No, and so I, I spent... You were queer. Yeah, I know. I did have a shaved head at the time, so... Which is, I always... boyfriend. Yeah. And shaved also, head and the boyfriend. So it was like cognitively... So mixed signals, really, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But shaved head. Um, and yeah, so we spent a lot of time talking about our own bodies and sexualities. And then as a natural progression from that, we started sleeping with each other. <laughs> Wonderful. That's always the way. The genre. With your, you said you had a complicated relationship with your body. Did that intertwine with your sexuality and, and that, or, oh, yeah. or, or were they quite distinct? Mm, oh yeah, they were, they was definitely combined. Because I think my relationship with my body has always been slightly complicated uh, by the fact I have an identical twin so I like grew up with like someone who had exactly the same body as me and like puberty is fucking difficult to go through anyway and then when you have like your mirror image you have a direct comparison yeah going through at the same time and you're like comparing yourself all the time to like the literal genetic identical version of you and at the same time I read Freud on homosexuality which famously he compares uh, homosexuality uh, he says it's like a base form of narcissism and you're basically <laughs> seeking yourself in another person. You're looking for your mirror image. Oh, and I was like, oh my God, I'm not only gay, but I'm also <laughs> incestuous. And I like have, and so it was like a melting pot of problems with like my body and then also seeing it mirrored in someone else's and then like not feeling comfortable with my sexuality. All in one. Because of fucking Freud. Yeah, I... I think that they have such a definitive link for me. Like, I always say that if I hadn't realised that I was attracted to women, I'd probably still have an eating disorder or, like, a mm. worse version of it. Because just before I realised I, like, fancied a girl, I had, like, big trouble, like, eating. And mm -hmm. was like, we're just, like, desperate to be the sort of boniest version of myself. Mm. And then the first, like, girl I fell for, just, like... What I fell for in her, among other things, was like, I remember being like really moved by basically like tiny muffin top. Like I remember seeing like, like I mean, it is delightful. It's delightful. Mm -hmm. It's a, 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 like, oh, lovely. It's, like, so, it's just like, yeah, so, so gorgeous. But like knowing that if I, and this is like a sort of, it's a sort of horrible thing to say, but if I had it on myself, I'd freak out. I definitely would then. But then I was really attracted to it in someone else. Whereas I think prior to that, my eating disorder was being fed by the sort of fake news that the tinier I was, the more desirable I was. And mm. like, that's what men wanted. And like, mm. and that's what I desired in men. I was very like hard line, like very judgmental, I think, of like the male form then. So if mm. someone was heavier, I didn't find them attractive. And I so I was sort of buying into the whole like hetero vibe mm. of like, we've all just got to be like lean machines mm. and then that was taken down when I was like oh no but I fancy fat on women which mm. means that like that means people could fancy that on me that means that it's not about what yeah that's yeah. what I'm trying to say that my attraction to men aligns with like who you're meant to be attracted to mm. in the like most like hetero-capitalist form and then my attraction to women just breaks all the rules mm. and like it's never who I think it's going to be and the bodies are so different from mine and actually it's uh, like fuck Freud. It's the opposite of like mm. someone that looks like me. It's actually often yeah. really different. I was going to say it's almost yeah. a polar opposite experience that you both had in kind of yeah. discovering yeah. your queerness. Well, I think that was the kind of intellectual view I had of it when I was like growing up, yeah. at age like fifteen, when I was starting to like come to terms with my sexuality or like thinking about it probably for the first time. And it was like so easy to just like read the words of like a dead white man and be like, well, he must mm -hmm. be right, yeah. you know? If because people like people mm -hmm. read him, like, blah, blah, blah. But then the lived experience I had was that like the first, Mary was the first girl I slept with. And it was the first time someone, instead of like ignoring my belly, 
you know yeah like sort of act, like acting like it wasn't yeah. there the elephant in the room yeah That's exactly I and felt. i exactly i'd always be like mm, if i don't mention it you know i'm thinking about it non-stop but at least like they haven't they haven't mentioned yeah, it like, so like it, it's probably it, yeah like, and like mm. i would almost like ugh, convulse if like anyone touched yeah. it in a kind of sexual way like my experience sleeping with mary that f- like those first times was like you like praised my body to an extent that i like had I had never experienced yeah. before and like my belly was beautiful and I'd like had never conceived of my that that a, a any belly could be beautiful yeah mm-hmm. and you sang a lyric into <laughs> into my belly button <laughs> from Rye a song called open which is in book smart yeah oh my god um, it's we the... had this mad moment you know books that so that is the song that um accompanies the moment when there's like that queer it goes like this wait I'm a fool for your belly. Yeah. yeah. You know the, you know the bit in the, yeah. in the film? Yeah. Oh, like yeah. that yeah. in the bathroom? Yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah. Al and I watched it separately. Yeah. We could not believe they played that song because it was like the f- song, I think I played it the first time we had sex. Yeah, it was, yeah. So it was it was first queer sex and it was the same song. And we were both yeah. like... But the thing is, <laughs> I was like in the... we, we went. To, I wish we'd seen the film together, but in a way it was amazing to be like... I went. Um, I think I went and watched it by myself or, or like with people who like maybe didn't know me as well. I just burst into tears when I heard that song oh. being played in that context. Like even though it's really quite, a, you know, it's not really tear jerk worthy in the yeah. film as a standalone thing. But I'm sure everyone around was like, why is she okay? Like, <laughs> this isn't the sad bit. Like, <laughs> this is sex. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say, watching Booksmart, there were so many moments in it which aren't sad or emotional mm. scenes, but I had never seen that done on mm-hmm. screen before. Like, I'd never seen, like, such a real queer love scene. I'd never yeah. seen such a brutal, just like, or just like, also, I'd never seen, like, just a plus size woman on screen. Yeah. Just beautiful mm. and it's never acknowledged. And, and it's not mm-hmm. part of the yeah. part of I, Literally, the minute I saw Beanie on screen, I burst into tears and was like, mm. if I'd seen this as a teenager, my whole life would have been different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it would have completely changed yeah. everything. The mm. thing is, like, book smart starts where so many things end. Like, normally yeah. the narrative of people who are, like, queer or have, or are fat, basically, the story ends with them coming to terms with their yeah. body. And the whole story is about the strife of, like, getting there. Yeah. Whereas book smart is like, you've got two incredible female characters on screen one of them is queer one of them is fat Mm. and they already love themselves like that is never doubted in the film they like start from there Mm -hmm. and then the rest is just their life so mary and Elle have created two very special shows one is called hotter one is called fitter i took my mum to see hotter the other day and i was gonna mention this which is she one burst into tears like I've never seen her cry at theatre my mum usually hates the theatre like actively is like I don't want to go <laughs> I told her she had to go she burst into tears and then she went I've never seen anything so honest oh. and she was like your generation is so special because the honesty and the power of what you two are doing I mean and I felt the same when I saw your show my friend took me and then the very next day I was like I have to take my best friend and I booked another <laughs> ticket which is now why I feel so creepy because every time you are in the audience you're like please I hope honey's not there like you <laughs> <laughs> if I see her in the audience I'm gonna scream <laughs> but um I love the show so much I think it's so important I think you know I really are you gonna bring it back sorry just just for me personally so I can yeah. go again, again. Uh, obviously yeah, there will. Yeah, there are. Well, we'll, we'll it will be back. It's coming back in <laughs> one form back. or another. Yeah. Um, one thing I love, and I feel like we've already kind of broached this, is just you two are so comfortable talking about things that I think have traditionally been taboo. I mean, like, just the way you're so open about masturbation, the way you're so open about periods. I love you talking about periods dripping on your white shoes. And I just mm. was like, yes, it's so real. It's so true. Even talking about menopause, which is one of the reasons I took my mum, because I think there's so many women in that generation who are going through menopause who have never spoken about it, Mm. never heard anyone speak about it. What made you want to broach those subjects? We had a thing about the embarrassed, like what makes people embarrassed. Mm. And that being about silence, because you can't really be embarrassed about something if you if the person next to you knows exactly what you're talking about. Like it only comes, Mm. that feeling that particularly like, it's so... Also, embarrassment has such a strong link to teenage, being teenage, mm. I think. And that is because you're, when you're going through those things for the first time, your body's changing. You don't really know if it's happening to anyone else. So mm-hmm. there are so many stories where someone's like, what's this? When it comes, they have like blood out of their vagina. I mean, mm. that's a slightly like the generation before us, but it's all about like, 
you immediately attach shame to something that you think is only you. Mm-hmm. And then if you talk about it, it immediately like loses its power. So basically we're just like, what we want to talk about things that aren't normally spoken about. And we want to ask other people because we want to learn too. So mm-hmm. that's the other crucial thing mm-hmm. about Hotter is that, and Fitter, our shows are like a conversation because we start by interviewing loads of different people with the same questions. So we, the process of making the show is also like finding out mm-hmm. about other people's experience, which is why they're empowering for us too, before mm-hmm. we've even done the show is mm-hmm. all these amazing conversations yeah. with strangers where they tell you things they've never said before. And the, and then, and it was like a big growth for us, I think, yeah. because we were a, matured by making it. Yeah, it's a privilege to hear people put into words something they've never been able to put into words before because you're met with such honesty that the interviewees give us like we have to do the same thing when we're on stage Mm -hmm. if we weren't giving our all if we weren't giving all of ourselves and being completely honest about the things we're talking about then we'd be asking our interviewees to do something that we weren't willing to match them Mm. with and yeah that's always been so important and also like in our own relationship now we've reached a point where like we will say anything out loud because there's always something relatable about it. Like you're you're never the only one who's thought that about mm. yourself, and like it's a burden lifted. Well, it feels kind of like an exorcism. Like the yeah. show itself, you feel so light after it because you're like everything I've ever felt ashamed of has been completely uh, just pulled out of my body, and I'm fine. And we're all dancing now, and it's great. Right. And then for people who haven't seen the show, can yeah. you just give us a quick overview of what it is? Hotter, our first show, is. Um, we basically interviewed women and trans people aged 11 to 97 with the same set of questions. And we were asking questions about, like, yeah, around hotness. The first Mm -hmm. question was, would you rather be hot or cold? Um, And then from all their answers... So it's for Bass from Theatre, like, we stitch together recordings of people or we... um, Or what people say inspires, like, a song... It's quite a hard show to describe because it's somewhere between like confessional, verbatim, dance, theatre with like songs that we've made up. There aren't really any rules apart from that we need to have like fun doing it. Mm -hmm. It needs to be really inclusive so you want to get as many different sorts of bodies and voices in there and it's got to be like a ride. Like that's the other Mm -hmm. thing, like when we first made it we like drew it out so we had this idea of like where we want, what we want the audience to feel and like where you want to be like, feel like elevated and where it like crashes down. We just knew that it had to like make you feel like the days when you feel shit about yourself mm. and like crawling, skin crawling and for the end to feel like when the you're best. like dancing on your own in your room or and you just feel mm. amazing. We always struggle to explain it. Even because We really should have gotten better right. at it. It's like three years and every time someone asks the question, I'm like, I really wish we had a set yeah. response. But I think that's the thing because that's why I think people like it is because it's it's re- it is difficult to explain because it's not like a play and it's not really a mm-hmm. cabaret show. It's like a really weird mixture of like loads of stuff. It's like an emotional yeah. roller coaster, yeah, really. And it, it is. Like you said, it you do feel like you've so captured the perfect essence of the days where you feel like shit about yourself and then the days you feel really good and especially the moments where you talk about your relationship. Could you talk a bit more about that? Like, when when you were putting a relationship into it, did that come... Was that immediately something you wanted to do? Or well, was it... Did it yeah. develop? Question. <laughs> Very good question. So, we've been doing Hotter for three years and the first year, when we were sort of doing the initial round of interviews, mm. we've added interviews each time, but the first round... Mm. We had just started sleeping with each other. We were making the show. And then before we went up to Edinburgh for the festival, um, we broke up. And so we didn't have any of our own story in that iteration of the show because like, wow. it was just too difficult. Like the ele- it was the elephant in the room of like that entire show was like, it was like, yeah, great. There's like interviews. It's like really fun and interesting. But like, why are you two making this show? Um, we didn't realise that was important though like no, it wasn't we until realize. we'd done a whole fringe and we had people like friends giving us feedback mm. they were like we just want to know about why you are making it and I think mm. when you start out making stuff as an artist of any description definitely for us the fear was like why is any, why would anyone care about us that's some, that's some mm. of the motive for interviewing other people mm. is that you're like we're 
You're looking giving outwards. a platform to loads of voices. It's not yeah. just about like what we think about our bodies. And then it was really interesting that the main feedback we were getting was like, we just don't understand why it's you two that's making it. Mm. So it didn't hadn't really crossed our minds to include the relationship yeah. in it. But it then a, it was a combination of like we'd just broken up, so it was probably too difficult to talk about it. It was hard. It was hard. When I don't we think started, we thought it was relevant. I yeah. I think the when you're first starting off like writing a show, you're always like putting the attention onto something else in order to help, because you're like I don't have anything interesting to say about myself. Let's talk about these other people. It's so interesting to hear you say that because now I think one of my favorite devices you use in the show is the fact that you essentially wouldn't think you are characters in the show and then you look around and you are mm. does that make sense you know yeah. I think you're you're hearing all of these other stories and it's you two being like we're doing these stories and then you're like oh no the story is about you too yeah and it's about everyone and I, I think it's really special the way you've weaved that in and it turned into one, like one of those things where you know I was saying earlier about um we had to match the honesty of the people we interviewed mm. we're like well we need to talk about the truth behind it so we came back to Edinburgh the next year with like that whole through line threaded in about us and like yeah yeah and the reason the texts were in there that was this really strange year we both just like finished uni but Elle was at drama school I was like working in a cafe and now we were only meeting on Sundays at mm. Elle's drama school mm. so it was really like bitty sort of work on it and we weren't seeing each other very much and then we'd have these really intense Sundays in a room Looking back mm. through old texts. Looking back through old texts. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Like, sitting next to each other, scrolling, literally scrolling back into, like, Looking history. Looking back mm. through my journal. That's Getting like quieter hellish. and quieter. <laughs> it, oh was God, hellish. it was hellish. Like, because so I always, much. when I'm, like, punishing myself will read old texts. Yes. Like, what the fuck does that? Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that you totally. did that together in a room, yeah. that's like, I can't, that's like a fever dream. Like, wow. In fact, we did it the other day. I had to look through my old journals the other day for another thing we're working on. And, like, oh, my God, it's so hard to read back through that time because I was also chronically depressed which is another like element in the in the whole melting pot um which didn't help you know and it's so hard going back and reading mm. through your old self but also nice in a way because we sit now and we can talk about it we can talk about how difficult it was which I know you know lots of people can't do and there's like unresolved trauma there and then I think sort of stage three of the show that you now see at like Soho Theatre is that we then got a director. Mm, so yeah. then you're not doing that stuff on Alone. your own. Yeah. Which is the main thing. Because we were sort of like, that could go so drastically wrong, what we were trying to do now, I think, that we were like in a room just us two sort yeah. of trying to dissect our relationship. And actually all it would do <laughs> was dangerous. like make us go really quiet and then go home in a weird mood. And then we got um, our director, Jess Edwards, who's like an amazing combination of like dramaturg and... Uh, therapist <laughs> because she can like hold a space for you to talk about stuff like that Ask and like our first questions. like rehearsal with her she asked us to do this insane thing which was um write down five things you've never said to the other one ah. which for us is like really hard because we tell each other like fucking loads <laughs> like yeah. incessantly it's just such a testament to the two of you that you could be in a, re a relationship that relationship was split and then like three years on you're sitting in a room together mm. and have had a really successful run of this show and can have this conversation now I think if I'm not just thinking of all like my past relationships yeah. and I'm like my skin is like, oh my god <laughs> it, my like, ex sends me a meme I like throw my phone at the wall <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I think, well, I think How? part of it is what you said there is that, like, I think it's only possible because it's successful. Like, I think, like, basically that's true. The show. Because yeah, the show it's is only, yeah, it's only, like, we only put ourselves in those positions because we're like, this is going to be, when I say successful, it's like, it, things are successful when it resonates with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, like having an ex like will resonate with people on the awkwardness especially in queer relationships yeah. of like mm. often carrying on in friendship groups with like lots of accident dynamics like it's unfolding exactly mm. and and so you know it would be awful if we'd done all that and then no it didn't like connect with anyone yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't mm. have been worth it but the reason why we keep going out there and like and challenging ourselves to be braver and braver mm. and even braver in mm. our in our new show fitter um, is because we know that that people are going to relate to it in some way. Yeah. Um, would you be happy to tell us a bit about Fitter? Yes. yes. <laughs> so Fitter started a bit as a joke because um, 
as Hotter's audiences grew and kind of diversified, uh, we'd sometimes have men come up to us and be like, why didn't you interview any men for this? <laughs> and we'd be like, um, it's not about you. Like, like, there's so much media from the last 500 yeah. years it's all about so you, like, don't worry. You've had quite a lot of plays. Like, <laughs> shut up. Like, um, with Hotter, it's just women. Women and trans, and trans people, women, yeah. yeah. It's so, everyone apart from cis men. That's yeah, sort of the rule. Right, yeah right. that's the rule. We um, did like think, like, we sometimes like, toyed with it, but we were just like, nah. Yeah, we're just bothered. sort of like, no, it's not your space, and this has to be... And we don't want to talk to you. Yeah, we didn't, <laughs> didn't want to talk to them, but they're super hard to ignore. So, uh, we, and then, yeah, and then we sort of started as a joke, being like, uh, well... Let's make a whole fucking show yeah, about Yeah, let's them. make a whole show about men, and we're like, oh, we should make a whole show about <laughs> men. Because we realised mainly that we brought a lot of preconceptions to Fitter, uh, and like even the idea I mean it was literally a joke and um, we needed to unpack that be like well why do we find it so funny the idea that we as queer women would make a show about cis men mm. um, and it's about men what? and their bodies right like, yeah, it's, yeah I mainly say it's not just uh, yeah. Right. yeah it's not just right. about cis men either we, we interviewed boys, men trans, trans men, cis men masculine presenting people and what were the kind of preconceived notions you went into the show with so one, one joke we had is we won't get, we won't have any material because we'll ask okay. questions and they'll all just be like, oh, I haven't thought about it before. <laughs> and you just have a whole show of people being like, mm, uh, don't know. Mm. Um, so that was one that people wouldn't yeah. like open up in the same yeah. way. And I guess the other one was, was that we wouldn't come across like anywhere near as much self-awareness, mm. which in some ways is true. What we didn't expect actually was that the raw audio material of Fitter weighs a ton. It's so heavy on its yeah. own. Mm-hmm. It's so sad. Not necessarily wow. because it's like outwardly sad, but because there's like a disjoint between, sometimes that's the case, but a lot of the time it's like someone saying something they felt about themselves without the sort of relief of knowing where it might have come from. So at least with like women, if someone was talking about feeling bad about their body, They've like sort of processed it in some way, or they've spoken yeah. to, to someone about You've had a it, or they're aware. To kind of yeah, unpack it as well because the conversation mm. around women's bodies has been happening much louder and for a lot longer. Whereas I think men have only recently been given a platform to talk about like their emotions and their bodies and all yeah. the things that because come with that. Because also a lot of the movement of like women talking about their bodies has been anti-male gaze, and they're not really welcomed into that discourse of like self-love like it's kind of yeah you know you don't hear men talk about self-love well there's like i mean it breaks my heart that there isn't really like a kind of body positivity for men at the moment mm. like i feel like i i'm constantly trying to find a space where men are allowed to celebrate their bodies and be body positive but it doesn't seem to be there yet i haven't mm-hmm. or at least i haven't found it yeah. you know there are people obviously trying but it, it does feel like there's a very it, it's very just overwhelmingly sad that yeah. they haven't been given permission, essentially. Yeah, it's, but it's in the shadow of feminism, isn't it? Yeah. So, like, right now, to be entirely male body positive feels like feels like you would have to sort of forget what bodies like yours have meant for women, I think. There's something about it in the link to feminism, I think, that means that it is really hard right now to be mm. like, woohoo! I love being a man because that's like well of course you do like we live in a patriarchy the feminism thing is like you're lifting the roof off Mm -hmm. of like oppression that you felt and being like whoa we can raise the roof if this is so simple whereas if you're doing it as a man you're like well you didn't even have a roof there but they do because there's so much silence there's actually way more silence Mm -hmm. about like how you feel in your body because it's just meant to be all sorted and that's where like masculine norms come in and toxic masculinity. It's not seen as masculine to talk about emotions mm. in that way and to be and to be soft or to be, mm. to be um, vulnerable. Yeah. yeah, to the point. This is, I think, what makes the fitter material sad. That goes to a point at which it's not just about talking about feelings; like they actually talk about feeling less. Wow. Like it's not just about mm-hmm. what you say. If you grow up learning not to talk about feelings. There is eventually a knock-on thing where I think it makes you feel less. Like, we've had conversations where it's just like, I don't have that experience Mm -hmm. of feeling. That's what we were coming across. There were, like, questions about crying in it. And loads of moments just being like, I don't really do that. Yeah. But I think that is so physiological. It's not coming Mm. from... I think my preconception was like, oh, yeah, 
boys don't cry and we're going to hear that over and over again. Mm-hmm. The thing that's scary was that it was, it's not an active decision not to cry. It's not like I'm going to suppress that feeling no, it's in order to not cry. It's like... I can't like I wouldn't it was not even in my emotional vocabulary yeah, I'd to quite like consider to. that as an mm. option I like, remember reading a statistic once that baby boys are more likely to learn to not cry this, I'm absolutely butchering this <laughs> uh, basically because they realised that their parents were less likely to respond to them crying were they to like a female counterpart mm. and so baby boys cry less if that's the way you've been conditioned and raised um, because they've learned that their parents won't come if they mm. cry. So I feel like that just continues through adult life mm. for most men, unfortunately, mm. because they've just been conditioned yeah. that way. And I thought mm. that was kind of like a... Um, part of me was like, well, how much of that is a stereotype? Like, boys m- must cry, like, a little bit, maybe. Yeah, but I like, cry all the time. Like, literally, I can't it in imagine private. a sure. world in which... Like, I cry daily. Like, and I love almost it. non-stop. Yeah, and... Um, I've just paused my crying now to do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, Thank you so much for fitting us in. The crime schedule is actually I'm just packed. silently weeping <laughs> during, to, the, to the listener. But no, so many of the men we spoke to just said, I haven't cried since I was a child. Or like, I can't remember mm. when I last cried. Or my grandma died last year and I didn't cry at all. And I'm sort of like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. madness. It's so interesting that it runs so much deeper than just the kind of... Yeah, it runs deeper than you'd expect it would. Mm. God. And the other thing that Fitter was about... So the, so the that was sort of like the interview side. Right. And then we were thinking... The other sort of like big question was like, how is Fitter going to be about us? Because it's really obvious how we fit into the world of Hotter. Mm. Because we share something about these bodies. And obviously, we also share things about male bodies. Um, but... It's, it's like we're like we're basically we're taking a step further in listening to someone different mm-hmm. and then how does it literally affect our relationship thinking about how the interviewees and us in hotter there's this like sort of like ping pong world where we are being our relationship is being influenced by the voices you hear and we were thinking about how that works with like men mm. and that's when we came across because, like, actually, the very few conflicts that we've, like, had... I mean, they can't They've even really be called conflicts. Men. They're, like, deep conversations. But yeah. they are all... They have, like, often been about men because of, like, comparison and desire. And yeah. it's so frustrating mm. to us that, like, that plays into our dynamic. But it still mm. does. Yeah. And then the flip side of that is that sort of, like, competitive desire. And the other way that men have impacted the way we relate is heartbreak. Because... Yeah. Well, I had like a big heartbreak this year and talked about it non fucking stop. L stop, lads. Non stop. And L had to like, you know, help me through it. It's about while what, sort yeah. of being annoyed that I even felt. Well, I think because my my relationship with men is like super. Everything's always fucking complex, isn't it? <laughs> it's never simple. Yeah. Um, but I really shut myself off to men for like a lot of reasons growing up whether like you know whether that's like a trusting or like literal like uh, reasons to do with assault which are like very difficult to talk about Mm. and so I've never experienced heartbreak because like I've especially at the hands of a man like I've never let myself feel Mm. vulnerable around a man Mm. basically is like the long and short of it and so when you're like nursing a friend through heartbreak and like the idea of heartbreak is sort of completely inaccessible Mm -hmm. to you Mm -hmm. there is a part of you that you're like why can't you look at this rationally like he's not good Mm -hmm. enough for you and the fact that he's not good enough for you for you is is evidenced by the fact that he's not currently here Mm -hmm. and so I tend I tended to have like on on one hand like a kind of intellectual cynical kind of outlook on it but at the same time like just uh how do you help your best friend like mend yeah is it even possible like there are moments where you think it's just it's just not possible and so it's also a kind of uh, about that as well Mm. i think it's so interesting because you can't help someone mend you can just be there you yeah know what i mean it's like you can't add, someone won't be ready until which is what ready. i struggled yes. with i think i struggled with because i was sort of like i'm gonna help you fix this and these are the mantras of it and it's like actually no 
you just need to take your time. But that's so frustrating, isn't it? Oh, it's so frustrating. Yeah. It's also so alarming when you're, especially if you've been wary of men, and then you do let someone in, a man in, and you're like, why did I? Why? Yeah, why did I and do then, that? And then it's equally more frustrating when you're looking at your best friend and you're like, you're so amazing. Like, why did you let this person come in? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's that kind of, um, there's a, it's just a nightmarish, vicious cycle of kind of being mm. like, but why did you even make yourself vulnerable in the first place? Like, yeah. I hate that you're hurting, mm. but I hate that you've let someone hurt you. It, it, yeah. Yes, that's it. Totally yeah. it. I now have this thing, like, when I'm, uh, if I'm, like, sleeping with, I mean, I don't, it's not like it's about women. <laughs> I don't think I do. I haven't had this experience with women. But if I um, sort of, like, feel myself starting to like a guy... I feel like what I'm doing is I'm sort of about to hand them like some power yeah. over me. And I'm like, the second mm. I hand this to you, you're gonna break it. Like basically- I'm holding myself. I'm up. giving you something which yeah. I know you're going to crack. Yeah. Which isn't always true, but that's like how I, it's how how it I now think about it. And you're like, this is awful. Even desiring you is giving you the power to like get to me. Because now if you want someone else, I'm going to feel, like, hurt. Mm. Or if you go, like, get a bit bored of this, I'm going to feel really hurt. So I'm basically handing you, like, some sort of sledgehammer and then my, like, soft little ego. <laughs> and you... Well, you've got the sledgehammer and I've given you my soft little ego. Mm. Ego, I've given you a bit of it and you... And you're it's just, just a time... It's, like a, it's just a time bomb. It's like, in yeah. a moment, you're when just you going to smash it. it. Yeah. yeah, when are you going to thump it? Yeah. That it feeling is horrible. It feels like the more you hand it over, the more cracked the ego gets anyway. So it's kind of even worse because even if they don't hurt you, you've already planned for it. You've already yes. penciled in the, you know, despair. You can't help that. You're because... so right. Penciling in the despair is like <laughs> an excellent phrase Thank for you. that. Yeah. <laughs> because then there's like a bit of you holding back. I think that's my relationship with men mm. is that I, I perpetually pencil in the despair. <laughs> it's so, we, we recently interviewed uh, Chidera, the sunflower, uh, and it's so interesting hearing kind of the contrasting ways that people have relationships with men because I think it is a big part mm. and I think it also does play into a lot with our relationships with our bodies as well, mm. especially how we view ourselves through the way men look at us. But see I much more relate to what you two are saying no I love Jadera I think she's amazing but we had a very interesting conversation about it where you see the kind of people have learnt different ways to cope and survive the sledgehammering basically well yeah I think that's just it it's like how people have learnt to navigate all of these dynamics in different ways yeah. and I think she's taken one extreme yeah uh -huh. yeah but the it's other, a very interesting one the other game we both play I think is that when you're not handing someone your soft ego, the way that you can avoid doing that is by like, like turning the tables and like hunting men. Mm. So we both know this yes. in like a sort of casual sex way that mm. you're like, I know you fancy me. And that sort of, that confidence in someone fancying you pretty much only comes when you, you know they haven't got your soft ego. Like the mm. stakes, you're not about to lose something really yeah. like precious to you. And so that's when you can really see attraction really clearly, I think, is when you haven't got your own like stake in it. But then when you see like a man fancies you, then you're like, this is really easy. I know what I can do. Like basically, we talk about this a lot. You're like, I already know we're gonna have sex. Yeah. Because I've decided and, and I can just feel that this is just gonna happen now. Yeah. So there's that game which stops you from handing your ego over. Yeah. Because you're sort of detached from it and you're, you're playing the thing like a game. And that's why that it feels weird. Does that really... make you feel mask when you do that? Yeah. Yeah. It is like a it is like a mask way of mm. fucking, and that's it also makes the time when so the powerful. yeah, and it's also yeah. the time when you're like, those are sort of the only occasions where I'm like, okay, I'm going now. Yeah, we've had sex. <laughs> I'm leaving. It's like yeah. two a.m., but I'm not gonna sleep in your bed. Or you're like, well, the one in the morning, you're just like, bye. I actually like, need to leave. Like, yeah, you need to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, like, sorry, the we're done. On the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, bye. I've already booked you new. Yeah. Uh, but that's the way in which, like, uh, I think I'm I'm gonna muddle my way through this thought. The act of like performing on stage, mm. we spoke about this a lot when we were rehearsing and writing 
like almost there's something about the act of performing on stage that is sort of mask and I'm gonna try and unpack this Mm -hmm. because it's a power thing of being like Mm -hmm. everyone is here to see me Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna sit back in it and just assume that everyone's listening I imagine it's how most like straight cis white men feel all the time just like like, when they turn up to an event they're like everyone's here for me you're like no this is my birthday weirdly even though you're putting in (laughs) loads of effort and like into the act of mm, performing. Yeah. Really, you're not having to do anything at all because they're, they're coming to you. Um, and then also the act of, like, filtering your emotions. And there are points in the show where we talk about, like, super difficult things. But the act of, like, filtering them down into, like, a pulp that is presentable mm. on stage. Basically, in order to perform, you have to put up some kind of facade even when you mm. are mm-hmm. presenting your most, like, raw you know, quote unquote, vulnerable self, mm-hmm. there is a level at which you are, you are having to kind of hold a version of yourself like there. And that feels quite mask. And, and it also feels like very powerful because you're letting them come to you X, Y, Z. It made me feel so like in control and, and powerful while mm. we were. Yeah. Performing. There's also something about like the boxer to it because you're being like, I'm, there's one way of looking at you like, oh, these people say these amazing, like emotional vulnerable letters about themselves every day Mm. and then the experience of doing that though is a little bit like getting ready for like a boxing match because the vulnerability is your strength so in some ways you're being like look how fucking strong I am I can say this letter every day Mm. although I'm exposing a vulnerability I'm also being like I can handle this I process this in some way Mm. I might be crying while I read this thing but I'm getting up every day and doing it so there is a sort of like macho bravado in a weird way that I feel of being like now I'm sitting on my box I'm going to tell 90 people something that like most people would be mo- really terrified to say there's vulnerability wrapped in the there's strength wrapped in the vulnerability well it's interesting because it kind of feels like a complete reclamation of vulnerability and a rebranding because I think for so long uh, things that were considered typically masculine were very you know like macho bravado but actually I think the real strength is coming from the vulnerability mm-hmm. and that's actually what scares people mm-hmm. now yeah. it's terrifying to people that you can get up there and look someone like dead dumb you know you can stare at them and be like just so you know i've had a wank like that's <laughs> yeah. terrifying to people they're like that honesty yeah. is so frightening and so brave and it's interesting that we're even considering that as mask because it's powerful but actually yes. it's typically inherently the feminine thing yes. or it's like that's what we've been branded as yeah. is the emotional ones so like reclaiming that and being like no no this is powerful as hell is very yeah, fucking yeah. cool but that's like something I'm always kind of tripping over myself and saying because I've just like done that whole you know talk about how being performing is mask mm. but I think I'm just using mask as synonymous with powerful yeah. which is like inherent it's just wrong like yeah. I shouldn't have to feel like I'm becoming something else in order to feel powerful Mm -hmm. it's also Um, interesting about sliding scale of feeling masculine and feeling feminine like it is something that like we all have days where I have days where I feel more mask than I feel firm like it's very interesting but it's not something that we talk about at all really in our day to day lives and I like that you two are unpacking that Mm. well just (laughs) that you can draw on both like energies so like one thing that happens is before Hotter we do this like in the preset we do this big femme like posy dance to like Lizzo in like pink yeah. light and we're in our like costumes and so we spend the time before the show starts doing this like femme hair flicking, mm, nail checking, like... like bum moving stuff. And it's like warm. fifteen minutes it's and it's warm. so fun. Yeah. And you're so that's where that performance energy comes from. And then before fitter, we are behind the like blacks. So in the shadows, the audience can't see us, but we're still dancing, except we're in suits and we're both dancing in like a mask way. My hands are in my pockets. The energy that we're like- Nodding really firmly. (laughs) The energy that we're building up is like a different thing. Yeah. But it comes from the same, it just, yeah, it's a different, it's a different different sort of fire. But there is something about um, mask and effort, I think. Mask movement, I think, is about like not showing often effort like when you see guys dance in the club it's sort of like I'm not even trying to dance but I am yeah and then they're like well, femme camp version yeah it'd be humiliating yeah and then like femme camp queer culture is like voguing well, where it's vogue, like it's I am fucked. like fucking working yeah. so hard so that that difference we like really felt I think that's yeah. well it's interesting with like because I 
know a lot of people who do Vogue and in, in ballroom culture and like with so you have Vogue Femme which is very soft and the idea is to be soft and cunt like that's that's the ethos you want to create. So you want to create feminine, yeah. You want to create feminine lines. Uh-huh. Whereas when they'll do like all American runway, that's that is mask and it is yeah. like hard. There's no, there's no yeah. like, there's no hip. There's yeah. no softness to it. It's uh-huh. it's hard and it's. I love hearing trying, you say but... cunt. It was the most, this was the most exciting <laughs> yeah. thing I've had all day. I was like, I don't normally swear. I was like, I was like, I was like, I was like, I but it's part of the yeah vocabulary. Yeah, then it becomes allowed. We love. I love that word. Um, um, wait, I'm so I want to go back to the show. So I'm a researcher, and so I do lots of interviews as part yeah. of some of my work. And so then, and when you're talking about all the interviews and the range from like from children to people in their nineties mm-hmm. is so um, fascinating to me. And hearing how they speak about bodies, and I just wonder if you've got anything that has really stood out to you or has changed your thinking mm. over the course of the, the years that you've been doing those interviews and doing the show. Yeah, what different. was one kind of very eye-opening tidbit that you got? Because we probably have or, to write Or something that you're like just yeah. stuck on that just is like that. That'll stay with that you. Stays. Mm. I think mostly it's like the older people mm-hmm. we've interviewed. So for me, uh, I interviewed my grandma, Pommy, for Hotter and like her interview is sort of like the heart of the show. And the kind of equivalent in Fitter is Mr. Hamilton, who's um, 102 years old. Um, And it's hard to explain how it feels interviewing someone who has just lived that long. Mm -hmm. And, like, I kind of look at them from my, my 23 years and I think I'm so, you know... We know so much from talking to so many people and, like, I really feel like I'm discovering things. And then, like... I see what they've lived through and, you know, there's just a kind of casualness to being old mm. and, like, well, it's made me appreciate, like, the functionality of my mm. own body. Yeah. Uh, my grandma was, like, really unwell when we interviewed her and she was, like, sort of losing use of it, like, altogether. Mm. And so there's a kind of gratefulness to it. I, I'm really excited to, like, be old. And there's, like, a fear of growing old and I'm, like, I want that wisdom, man. Also just the comfort, I think, of being old and just truly being like, I've lived in this body for so long and this is my home and I think you just feel so much more settled. Like, you look at older Mm. people Mm. and I think when they've really... I think there's an age where you're freaking out and you're like, no, 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 my body, like, I'm losing my body. And then I think there's a comfort in going, actually, I'm letting myself age. I've given myself permission and I'm Mm. here. I think that's very powerful. I think... And then it becomes a different thing, though. So, like, Mr Hamilton, for example he spoke about being lonely. And so there's part of me that's like, yeah, that was our reaction too. Just like, (laughs) uh, heart, like, just heartbreaking. And there's a part of me that really looks forward to, you know, gracefully growing old and like, just growing. Because like you forget, (laughs) but like you, you know, growing old, you're still growing, you know? But then talking to Mr. Hamilton, there is a slightly terrifying aspect to it um because he's so lonely uh but as my granddad used to say it's better than the alternative which is death (laughs) 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 so mary do you maybe want to give us a little (laughs) (laughs) also there's no pressure to if you've got a good heavy one please by all means i don't think it no it's not heavy i was thinking about someone we interviewed called katie and like a wheelchair user and i had this like long discussion with her about bodies and one thing that really struck me was she was sort of being like i knew that other people found my like scoliosis disgusting but then much earlier than i think lots of people get a grip on it she was basically like because i realized so early on i'm not i'm never going to be on i'm never going to look like that person mm-hmm. there's like a rebellious thing a rebellious energy that then like fuels her self love and i think i was a sort of like lazy expecting that would be like a continuing problem that you'd be like mm-hmm. oh i don't know if i like feel beautiful because I don't map onto the ways, the things that I see. Mm. And actually what I encountered was the complete opposite, which was like, no, there's a freedom in this because mm. 
no one's presenting me like the way people see me it can't impact me because I I know who I am and we came across a, a sort of similar thing with, in, with Fitter where like people that had disabilities that made them look physically different from other people tended to have like a really like actually much more like stronger mm. resilience mm. there's a danger in looking more like the people you see in magazines in any way race or like body form mm. because actually then it becomes this thing that you drive towards and you don't then develop the like rebellious instinct whereas yeah. you get to decide what's beautiful if you don't fit the traditional narrative yeah you or just get the... to go i like this about yeah. myself yeah. i think this is beautiful yeah yeah that really makes me think of two things it makes me, first it makes me think of you when we're talking about love island one time i was just when thinking, thinking about that about, well because I remember asking you, like, do you feel bothered by watching, like, you yeah. lo- I don't watch Love Island, but you watch it all the time, oh, and I'm it. like, do you not find it a bit, like, oppressive, or, like, because you've got all these, like, perfect bodies, and you're mm. like, no, they're, like, CGI models, it's, like, it's so far, <laughs> so, so far removed. I literally it's... just listened to that episode. Oh, really? <laughs> really, yeah. yeah. But I think that, 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 that like, pulls that back to me, so it's a, a way of thinking, and then the, the other thing you were saying, so with my research centre, part of it is looking at people who have got visible difference, and actually you do see that in the research, that actually... Uh, people who do have an appearance that is different to the norm can have this like resilience that they've maybe had to build up but once they've got it it's fiery and strong and I think that's really powerful and I think something for all of us to kind of learn from yeah I think to learn that like being different from the norm is a sort of it can be a sort of freedom obviously comes with a whole host of things that are not not about being a privileged body that would be like difficult but there's the other thing which is like to not shroud whole groups of people in like vague clouds of pity mm. because actually mm. they might know something about closer to being free mm. from the sort of like structures that you're yeah. a slave to than you will ever know yeah. mm. because they know something, they've sorted something out about why not to care about what other people mm. think way before it takes the rest of us motherfuckers mm. to get there because you're like, <laughs> you might be like 80 before you're like, maybe I just shouldn't listen mm. yeah, <laughs> to yeah, other yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> and if you like, if you've always been different, then I think I like there's an accelerate accelerating mm-hmm. thing where you're like young, you're like, fuck this, I can't. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. gonna spend the rest of my life feeling shit about this. Yeah. If I don't just like learn that getting over this now is good. Yeah. That's yeah. my like uplifting yeah. thing. Know. I think that, that's really good. <laughs> that's a yeah. perfect way to really a perfect ending note. Yeah. No saving <laughs> needed. <at your moment. laughs> Obviously, we could talk to you all day. Where can we find you on social media? Oh, we're at Hotter Project on Instagram and on Twitter. Yeah, that's basically Anything it. Anything else? It? That's basically Anything else? My number is. <laughs> <laughs> Tinder. Yeah. How can be found on Hinge and Tinder and Bumble as well. Thank you for listening to the Body Protest Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. It would mean the world to us if you could subscribe, rate and review. You can follow Honey on Instagram at HoneyKinney. And you can follow Nadia at Nadia.Craddock. This podcast is edited by the angels at Project Harness, Daisy and Rasheen. And brought to you by the Pink Protest Podcast Network.